0: This morning, we're going to be in uh, Psalm 32, if you want to start turning there. I want to let you know, uh, this Psalm series, we're, we're doing a lot of our teaching out of this book called Morning, Noon, and Night. Uh, this is written by uh, one of our executive pastors, Rob Howard. Uh, he did an amazing job on this book. It is chock full of spiritual exercises for, for praying the Psalms. As a matter of fact, uh, the Psalm we're looking at uh, uh, this morning starts on page 59 here in, in the book. We have one of these books for every family. You can grab one on the way out. And then uh, also, and we'll talk a little bit about this here in a, in a few minutes, but near you, there is actually the exercise for this Psalm. And we'll talk a little bit about that after a bit, but you're able to take one of those with you and do that exercise. Uh, it really is uh, an amazing, as, as I've walked through it, the timing of kind of the spiritual exercises of the Psalms has been super interesting for me. I, I am, uh, I just want you to know, kind of a forewarning, I, I am this close, just this close, to being a a blubbering, crying mess. So if for some reason I just break down on the stage and I'm sorry, just give me a minute, I will get myself together. Now, uh, two weeks from today, I will be performing the wedding ceremony of my son, which, okay, see, like when you cheer, see, then I felt the emotions and I'm gonna fall over and just start crying. So (laughs) I do not need your help, all right? Uh, it, it's, it's a really uh, interesting season to actually be traveling through the Psalms because so much of Psalms carries a weight of emotion to it. They, they, they weren't written to just be kind of, you know, flat, emotionless ideas. They're connected to something, connected to our heart in a way that sometimes even other books of the Bible don't. And, and I want us to look at it that way this morning. I want it to invoke some level of what David was feeling as he was, as he was writing it. I, uh, as I was walking through this psalm this week, I, I, I found myself thinking about uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You guys, you guys probably know it. You've heard it. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths." It's really interesting. I think this is one of those disciplines that is so hard for us as, as people. We, we want to lean on our own understanding. It's in, in, our, in, in our brokenness, in our heart, we are, we are drawn to leaning on our own understanding. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? Like you know that moment where you know the first the first bite, and then all of a sudden, what happens? They're they're like quickly trying to figure this thing out, and they're on you know clothing up and 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 shame and and hiding and and all those things. They they quickly go in their brokenness to leaning on their own understanding, and we have this tendency. I I'll just like I like to take polls, just you know for. Uh, you guys, uh, they, they help me. They're kind of like the interactive portion of the morning. So um, how many of you have ever had a time in your life where you went through every option of trying to fix something on your own and you use God as the last resort? Oh, good. We're all, yes, that is we're all on the same page. In case you were wondering, that's 100% yes, 1% liar, okay? Uh, so it is... The reality is every one of us wants to lean into our own understanding. And what we're about to unpack, we have to begin to understand that there is a a God way of viewing this that goes against our own personal Understanding. Interesting thing is that, that proverb was written by Solomon, who was the 10th son. And he, does anyone in the room have 10 kids? I just wanna, I wanna shout you out, all right? Uh, okay, no, all right. Uh, the 10th kid of, of David. And as I read it, and then as we begin to get into this Psalm, it strikes me that there is this, this generational wisdom that comes out in the Psalms and the Proverbs, almost like, I, I, I don't know, but somewhere along the way where this discussion between father and son was being had. And as time went on, as God inspired the scripture, that wisdom began to pour out. The hope is that today's Psalm, as we look at it, will help us to begin to learn the blessing of confession and forgiveness. Psalm 32, verses one and two say this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I've highlighted a couple of things because I want us to, to catch here. Um, the word blessed uh, I, I'm going to be honest, I, I think it's one of those words that uh, as, as the, the original author and as the original hearers of this would have heard it, there was a very practical piece to it, a, a practical understanding. As time has go, gone on, this idea of blessed has become much more churchified. Like we even take it and move it into areas. I, when I moved here from Oregon uh, seven years ago, uh, I, I I came into this this beautiful land that is uh, Middle Tennessee, and 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 people would come up to me and say, "Bless your heart," and I I, I actually thought people were complimenting me. I, I had to learn that there was a there was a tone and a different idea that came with that particular phrase. We, we, have, we have simplified it into the place of, when someone sneezes, what do we say? No one knows what that means. Like, you, you, you say God bless you to someone and they get the God and they get the you, but the blessed part, what is that? It becomes a thing. As When we sit down to dinner, we say the? And in every home, that carries different weight and meaning. When, when they heard this word blessed, there were a couple of pieces that were, that were very practical, that they, they began to understand were being spoken. The first is, when they heard the word blessed, there was a sense of happiness to it. Uh, the other part of it was a little little trickier, but there was this idea of flourishing where when you were blessed you were you were connected to God in a way that things were were moving towards a a relational understanding of God that you were you were being blessed That there was flourishment in life that's what there was happiness there was flourishing they understood there was a practical idea to this idea of blessed. We as Christians. Well-meaning Christians, I've met a lot of Christians over time who um, you, you talk to them for for very long, and you question whether in a faith walk with Jesus there is any happiness. On the, on the other end, I, I've I've sat with a lot of Christians, met a lot of Christians who uh, you you would think that a faith walk is literally all about suffering or that in a faith walk there there is no hardship it's all about happiness and when those two people meet generally speaking they just say to the other person you don't have enough faith the reason you're not experiencing the happiness is you don't have enough faith or the reason that you are so happy and there's no hardship that you speak of is because you don't have enough faith. And I don't know about you, but, but my walk with Jesus carries some of both. And recognizing that becomes a huge part of what it looks like to walk in honesty with Jesus. So when they heard this word blessed, they, they, they picked up on this idea of, of, of flourishing and, and happiness. It did not discount the hard pieces of life. As a matter of fact, David begins to unpack it. He uses three very specific words. You'll see them, transgression, sin, and iniquity. Now I'm gonna tell you, I, you know, I get three or four times on Sunday mornings over the course of the year. Most of the time I'm on a Wednesday and you guys don't get to see that most of the time. And so I can get away with saying just about whatever I want. That's not true. There are recordings, nothing is secret anymore, all right? Uh, but when I, I, like, when I get the chance to, to be up here on a Sunday morning, I always look forward to, to being sent, here's the scripture that you're going to be sharing. And as I opened Psalm 32 and the key words are sin, transgression, and iniquity, I wanted to email Lloyd and say, can I have a different week? Because the reality is for each of us, if there is one subject that none of us want to confront, it's our own sin, our own transgression, and our own iniquity, and yet somehow David is connecting the happiness and the flourishing to these ideas. David talks about transgression, which the definition of that word is really rebellion against God. The idea of of standing in a place of saying, "I I don't need you, God. I choose to elevate myself above you, God. Sin, which, if you're going to uh, parse it out, is that word that we, we hear quite often the idea of falling short or missing the mark. I always think that David, knowing that that was the definition, must have had, a, had an affinity for this word. We, we know the story that gets told of David and that rock that, that hits Goliath right in the middle of the forehead. And yet, we also know there were probably years of being out in the wilderness of practicing with that sling and that rock and missing by just that much. The idea of iniquity, which is the idea of, 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 of truth being distorted or, or warped or, or made just different enough that it no longer becomes truth. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, I, I was I was looking back this week, thinking about student ministry over the years, and there is this idea of relativism that has generation after generation become more and and more prevalent. It's funny, the uh, the, the group of seventh and eighth graders that are coming up in student ministry right now, I'm now officially old enough that I could have been their that I could be their grandpa. Um, which is weird. Um, but I was thinking of this idea of, of of relativism, and whenever you you set out to to teach a message or, or, or speak something, a lot of times one of the first things that you will think about is the audience that you're going to be talking to and it wasn't that many generations ago where when people would walk into the church, they would walk into youth group, walk into student ministry, uh, there was a generally accepted idea that there is a truth out there. And if I find what that truth is, then I will live by that truth. That's, it's not really in the cards now. When I speak to an audience, more often than not, that when they hear the word truth, they think about from what comes from the inside out. It's, it's, it's what I choose to believe is, is truth. And that idea of a standard and, and truth is, is a huge piece of, of why we teach the word and, and what we believe. And before the rest of us amen that, you know, that's a problem, it's also not a surprise that that is the generally accepted idea when we have come out of two generations before that had some real struggles with legalism. And the, the, I mean, I, I, I was doing student ministry in the, uh, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, I, I ruined a lot of records by trying to play them backwards. Neither, neither one is necessarily a, a healthy idea. But the idea of the standard by which we are judged, what sin looks like and what truth is, is a very important concept. I was, I was trying to figure out how I wanted to, to share this. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick on Gracie down here because she chose the front row. Um, and, and Gracie now gave me that smirk like, oh, geez. Okay, so... So Gracie, I'm just gonna say for the sake of it. Have you ever been a pole vaulter before? No. No. Okay. so a good answer. All right. So um, we're just gonna say for the sake of argument, today you decide to become a pole vaulter. Okay. Now, how good a pole vaulter will you be? Right today. Like right now? Yeah. Bad. Okay. So, but we're gonna we're gonna do a little comparison. We're gonna set a standard. Let's just say for the sake of argument that I today also choose to become a pole vaulter, 52 years old, bad knees, probably need a hip replacement anytime, a little bit pudgy, a lot slower than I used to be, never pole vaulted before. You are comparing yourself to me. How good a pole vaulter are you? Pretty good. Pretty good, that's right. <laughs> this is absolutely 100% accurate, all right? see, because the standard looks different. But as a pole vaulter, Gracie, you you know the name Mondo Duplantis, correct? Yes. yes. A couple of go- months ago, Mondo Duplantis decided to clear 20 feet 3 inches and set the world record in the pole vault. Compared to Mondo Duplantis, how good a pole vaulter are you? Pretty bad. Pretty bad. See, you did that so well. That's why I like you, Gracie. You're a good person, all right? Uh, because it's about, it's about the standard. It's about the standard by, by which we choose to determine. Listen, if you have a non-Christian friend that you have tried to share the gospel with, at some point, one of the conversations that will come up is why, why do I have to accept Jesus because look at that person over there. I'm a good person compared to that person over there. Anybody ever had that conversation? Because what we want to do is we want to compare ourselves to a standard by which we look good. As a pole vaulter, we don't wanna compare ourselves to the best of the world. We wanna compare ourselves to the short, pudgy old guy. So the standard by which we determine whether we've missed the mark, whether we've stood in rebellion, whether we've twisted the truth, the standard is Jesus. And, and we, we, know, we know what happens when we have that conversation. The conversation goes something like this, but I can't live up to that standard, amen. Because the minute we begin to connect with the idea that I cannot live up to that standard, puts us in a place where we're about to experience grace. The first step to having a savior is to know you need a savior. And and David is is trying to get us to understand this idea that when you recognize you have transgressions and you have sin, when you have iniquity, that happiness and flourishing come when we begin to encounter what forgiveness looks like in that. He goes on in verses three and four, and he begins to attach some emotion to this idea. He begins to talk about who he is and what he feels. For when I, David, kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Look at that phrase, I kept silent. It's what we do in our brokenness and our humanity. It's what I do in my brokenness and my humanity, in my own personal human understanding. If there is sin, if there is iniquity, then I have to deal with it by hiding it, to keep it close. Whatever you do, don't let it out because it will get worse. Just just keep it close inside, fight it, whatever you do, work through it with nobody else knowing. David says, look, I've experienced it. As I kept silent, it was like I was wasting away from the inside out. we can all relate to this burden. We can all relate to these times in our life where we have held on to it and tried to deal with it in our own understanding, in our own ways. I'm gonna work my way through this. Don't let anybody know because if you do, it gets worse. And it literally sucks the life out of us. Uh, I love what he says in in verse four. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. In an unhealthy place and not knowing God's character, we read that as if God's heavy hand is upon us and he wants to judge us and he wants to, 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 to wreak some sort of judgment on us. And day and night, that's how it felt. But the reality is what David is saying is the hand of grace was upon me. It is a gift of grace that God would continue to pursue us with his character. When I was um, nine years old, I, uh, I got in trouble because I lied to my mom. And uh, as part of the punishment, for the 60 days after being caught, I had to do housework every day which to a nine-year-old is worse than being thrown in prison. (laughs) Part of that 60 days, every day, I I had to vacuum. And my mom is this very clever, amazing, feisty Italian gal. And so she uh, she would hide things under cushions and under... Couches and things, and she had to go to work, and so she would know as she'd walk in the door and she did you find the rubber duck today? Yeah, I was under the couch, mom. I was like, yeah, good for you. And every day I would vacuum, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but after 30 days or so, you can't get better lines in the carpet. Like it's just they're there, and so I would start to slack off a little bit, but you know, I would I would check under things, and I would. And so she would get home and she'd go, did you, did you find the marbles? And I said, yes, I found the marbles. And I'd show them to her. And as time went on, as we got closer to the 60 days, she stopped hiding things. And so I started to get a little more casual. I don't know, it had to be day 49, day 50, somewhere in there. She came home from work and uh, she, she said, did you vacuum today? And I said, Yes. I hadn't. She goes, I just want you to know, I'm so proud of you for sticking with this and being consistent. And I I know it hasn't been easy, but I'm I'm proud of you. Thanks mom. She goes, hey, I, I left some groceries in the trunk of the car. Could you go grab those and we'll fix dinner? I said, yes, I will. I walked out and I opened the trunk, and as the trunk opened, there was the vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> I stood there for what must have felt like hours. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Eventually, the only thing to do is to grab the vacuum and to walk in the house and I walk in. And she has this look on her face and she said something at that moment that literally I have never, ever, ever forgotten. She said, Scott, I want you to know something. lying to me or withholding the truth is the only thing that could ever harm the love we have for each other. The only thing that keeps us from connecting to God in a a way of intimacy, a, a, a way that we feel that blessing is if we withhold who we really are from him. Because it is that honesty, it is that confession, it is that transparency that connects us to the forgiveness of God. In verse five, David says this, I acknowledged my sin to you. I acknowledged my sin to you. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It is this beautiful piece of artwork that David lays out where he goes back and he relays those very same three things, the sin, the iniquity, the transgressions. The difference is this, when he was wasting away because he wouldn't open himself up to confession, he wouldn't open himself up to honesty, he never experienced what he desperately needed that would have brought blessing to his life, which is the one thing that God wants to do more than anything else to forgive. There is a direct connection to connection with God that involves confession and forgiveness. Even this week, I with people that I care about and love, people in the church, that I missed the mark and that I had to seek forgiveness. It would, have been, it would have been super easy. They weren't like giant things, but it would have been super easy just not to do anything about it, go on like nothing happened but to have real connection, to experience the love of God, there has to be confession and forgiveness. Any one of us with kids have all experienced the moment where we knew our kids were holding on to something and we desperately wanted more than anything else for them to understand that our love for them, if they would open up, there would be care and forgiveness We spend so much time, our own human understanding and human strength trying to hide things, we miss out on the gift of life-giving forgiveness. We've all experienced it that moment that it feels like the weight of the world has been lifted off of our shoulders and we experience what it looks like to feel intimacy and connection with God and and others. And yet somehow still in our brokenness, we continue to fight through the humanity broken idea of I will hide it, I will keep it. So what do we do with this? I wanna give you three really practical things that maybe you can begin to implement that I'm working on in my own life, we're going to take communion together and see if we can kind of seal these things in our heart. Here's the first one. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, it says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience Christians must demonstrate the character of God by confessing and forgiving each other. I I, I love the scripture that says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. I, I believe we live in a world that would be super drawn to Jesus and the church if when people viewed us, they said, there's a group of people that forgive. We, we do not live in a world that understands this concept. As a matter of fact, we live in a world that has chosen this, that if you do not agree with me, you are against me. And everyone said, amen. Because the reality is we must be people that are marked by the things that have us to be in a relationship with Jesus, and that is forgiveness. Second, Proverbs 19.11 says this, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Christians must learn, I must learn, to be slower with anger and become much quicker to forgive. I am, I am deeply burdened by the fact that Jesus forgives me and overlooks all of my offenses, both past, present, and future. And yet I don't know if my heart is marked or the world sees in me someone who quickly comes to love and forgive and overlooks the offenses that come against me. Being honest. And finally, in Romans 10, verses eight through 10, it says this, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There may be someone in this room who, this morning as we've opened God's word, you have a new understanding of what sin is and how you've missed the mark and what the standard is. I want you to know that I and we as a church believe that this scripture is 100% true. That if you recognize that, and then you recognize that the son of God showed up and he led a sinless life, and he died on the cross, he rose from the dead And the scripture said, he did it, he endured it. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. If you confess those things with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus did it for you, he will be faithful to forgive you and you enter into a relationship with him that will last forever. There is no greater message that could ever be shared. And that should carry some weight. Amen? I'm going to invite you to take the cup and the bread, peel it back, and grab that little piece of bread. Now I want to pray for you momentarily. I uh, I was trying to figure out how I kind of wanted to wrap this thing up and, and know that we we're gonna have communion and I kept coming back to this this thing that it, confession is something that's that's out here right like when you hear the word confession you don't you don't think to yourself that it stays in here it it has it has to come out and i don't i i i really i i do not want to to embarrass anyone or am i going to ask that you actually speak the words but if if you would say as as i looked at that scripture i looked at the psalm that david wrote i i can i can feel in me i can I can feel it eating away at me. And I, I want God to know that I just, I need, I need him to know that I need his blessing of forgiveness. And I need to experience what it looks like to, to have that, that freedom that I'm flourishing in a relationship with him. Christian, non-Christian alike, I, I think we all can relate to that. And so I just, I wanna pray for some people this morning. You, you're not gonna have to confess what it is or or anything else, but before we do communion, I, I would love for us to feel like we're experiencing the love and the forgiveness of God in this place. So Without any particulars or specifics, I just... If, if you would say, I, I relate to that this morning. I'm just gonna ask you to stand up where you're at so we can pray for you. That's it, I don't. Take a, take a bit of a, a risk. I'm not gonna call anybody out or anything else, but if, if you connect with that this morning, I'm gonna ask for, for you just to stand where you're at. We don't normally do this if it's, it's nobody that's, that's fine I just I want us to thank you thank you guys I want you to know more than anything else that all God looks at you with right now is love. That's it. And it puts a smile on his face because you're coming back to a place of reconnecting with him. And I so... Appreciate to be willing to take the risk. Now, I'm going to pray, and I just want you to feel more than anything else God's love shining down on you, Father. For those who are standing this morning. They've, they've, they've done it. They, they, they moved from a place of what was eating them up inside to a place of saying, God, I, I wanna experience your blessing. God, I pray they sense your love and your faithfulness this morning. what they've done brings honor and glory to a great God Father thank you thank you for your forgiveness for all of us we choose to not lean on our own understanding but in all of our ways acknowledge you and we lean into your character which is love and forgiveness. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. And all the sin was represented even in that room with those disciples. He also meant me and you. He did it for us. As we take the bread, we do it in remembrance of him. And then he took the cup. Blessed it. So this is my blood, brand new covenant. covenant that cannot be broken, covenant sealed with the greatest gift that has ever been given, the life of the Son of God, and he rose from the dead. As we do this, we do this in remembrance of that covenant, that sacrifice Sacrifice that never needs to happen again will carry us into eternity. We do this in remembrance of Him.